0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hey folks, welcome back. I'm Peter Capelli. I'm Dan O'Mara, And this is In the Workplace, the show where we talk about things going on at... In the workplace. Exactly. Uh, We check every week to make sure that that's still the case, but so far it is. So in this half hour of the show, we're going to talk about interviewing, and this is something that affects employers who spend a lot of time, if you're smart... Interviewing candidates to figure out which ones are good and also, of course, maybe even more important to potential candidates who often see this as kind of the make or break event uh, in terms of getting a job. So with us to talk about this is Neil Batia, who's the founder and president of Scala Talent and before that was the managing partner of of Green Peak which uh, was a company that basically helped private equity firms figure out who to hire. And so Neil's been doing this for quite a while. Neil, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh,
0: And Neil has been into our class trying to help our MBA students figure out how to interview. Uh, So I know I've seen him talk about this before. But Neil, let me see if we could back up a little here uh, in terms of background. And let's think about managerial jobs, maybe particularly toward the executive suite. Uh, so let me just ask with the beginning question here, and that is, let's talk about interviewing per se. How important is the interview these days? Is a bunch of other stuff taken away the importance of that, or what's your sense?
1: No, I actually believe it's still very critical. So I do think there's a number of other sources of information that you should tap into. There's online, social media, LinkedIn um obviously reference checks are very critical and i think they should be part of every process but i fundamentally believe that the interview itself and a series of interviews whether you do that with a few people that go very deep or a broader set of interviewees uh, is probably still one of the most critical aspects of the hiring process okay i think it will be for the foreseeable future maybe maybe five to ten years down the road you know I'll be out of a job, and you won't have to interview anymore, and you'll have robots to do it for you. But until that happens, I
0: think it's pretty good. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'm not seeing robots take this over, in, in part because people <laughs> just don't really want to talk to robots, right? Which we'll get into in just a second as to sure. uh, the both sides of this interview, right? Which is that some of this is, is uh, selling, too. So uh, when you see people interviewing, in your experience, helping, I imagine your new company, Scala Talent, is helping client companies do... Interviewing and finding talent, is that the idea?
1: It's a big chunk of it. Yeah, it's about a third of what I do is around um, a, either helping to assess, but going out and interviewing executives. I've done over the course of the last decade or so 350 executive assessments, right? Mm. Four hours with the executives walking through their background, trying to figure out if they're good fits. Uh, and then now I've probably shifted a little bit more even to more of the training. So going into, like, like I did with your classroom, going into companies, going into private equity firms themselves. Okay. And teaching people the skills how to you know how to get more data basically from candidates during the interview process. Yeah, that's about a third of it. A third is around development of senior executives, and then a third is more around organization. So a private equity firm buys a company, working with the PE firm or the CEO on how do you actually scale that. From mm-hmm. do you have the right organizational structure, do you have the right people around. Um, or you know, are there things, other things, organizationally, around know, culture, communication, et cetera, that you need to think about as a company grows? So okay, it's it's a component of what I do, um, but but I think it's just a critical component overall.
0: So let's start with the obvious question, and that is, when your client companies were doing this, and you're helping them interview. Let's start with the client side here. Sure. What are they after? From the interview process that maybe they couldn't get someplace else or they don't want to get from someplace else. What are they really trying to do in the interview?
1: When they use me. Yeah, or, or just in
0: general, that, and when you're watching them do it, what what do they want?
1: So it, it's funny. Um, it, a lot of times they're not clear about what they want. Yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I right, see. right. You know, sometimes it's just build a connection with mm-hmm. the person, sell them. A lot of times they go into sell mode even early on in the process, which isn't a bad thing, but you want to make sure you're doing the valuation part. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what they should want, if that's helpful. I think there's three things that you care about when you're interviewing somebody, a candidate for a role. One is, what are their motivations? What's driving them to want to take this role, and what will drive them to stay in this role? Okay. The other piece, is, The other two pieces are, what are their biggest strengths? What are they good at? How have they driven success across their careers historically? And the third is, what are their biggest development areas, their biggest weaknesses?
0: Um,
1: What are the things you have to watch out for or they have to watch out for when they get in your role? If you can find a way to effectively get data on those three subjects and those three topics, um, you can actually make effective hiring decisions.
0: Okay. And do you think uh, that is true almost no matter what the position is that that you're looking for? Those are the key things you want the answer to? Absolutely
1: when paired with the other piece of this, which is has nothing to do with the candidate. It has everything to do with your role. Okay. So before you go talk to a bunch of candidates, you need to get clear on your scorecard, your performance profile, whatever you want to call it. The things that you need this person to do and accomplish in your role, okay. if you can get clarity around those things, then you go talk to the candidates and you figure out what are they good at, yeah. what are they not good at, and how does that map against that scorecard. So yes. You put those two elements together.
0: Okay. Uh, you know, For listeners, it strikes me the reason you want to pay attention to Neil here is that Neil has been sitting with the people who are doing the hiring, right? <laughs> and to get some sense of wh- how they're thinking and what they're looking for. Neil, how often do you think it was the case that your clients or the people doing the hiring didn't really know what they wanted? How often do you think that was the
1: case? I would say half the time they were clear. Hmm. Half the time, it's not that they didn't know what they wanted, but they were more amorphous about it. Let's uh-huh. you know, you know, say so they're hiring a CFO. Well, we know we need them to generally do a bunch of financial things and partner well with the CEO. Right. So, so they have a clarity on that sense, but what actually is missing uh, is the next level down the more the level of specificity around what's most critical for this role, mm-hmm. and how does that person need to actually show up? Mm-hmm. Actually, a better example might be the sales example. So you'd say you're going to hire a head of sales. Okay. Say, okay, I want someone with a great track record selling, and uh, who can come in and sell my product. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's almost uh, the extent of, of how they're thinking about it. Where I see people make mistakes, and by the way, about half of hires are mishires. Hmm. Okay. Which is. That's massive
0: a, number. Yeah, it is a big news. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And the cost of this hire is you know, out of control. And where I see them make a mistake is, think of a salesperson. You're not clear enough around what's unique about your role. So your selling process is a 30-day sales cycle or is it a 12-month sales cycle? Okay. Is it? Do you need this person to go out and manage a huge team of sales individuals? Or are they really going to be in that room shaking hands, closing deals, these are, they seem like nuances now, but it's, it's where you yeah. right, interview somebody. and say, right. oh, They've got a great track record. They delivered in three different roles and you get them in your role and they fail miserably. Right. And you wonder, well, how could that be? Right. A lot of times it was in that nuance. And so it, it's in maybe 50, yeah. 60% of the time they aren't clear about the nuances.
0: Yeah. So I, 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 maybe I could just restate that. Tell me if I got it. I think part of th- this is just that the clients don't take time to figure out what it is you actually want this person to do, right? This is, goes back to job requirements as opposed to what the overall outcome is that you hope they'll contribute to, right? So say so Hiring a sales guy and what do you want? We want great sales. Well, of course, right? Uh, <laughs> but what do we want you to do in order to achieve that? They don't know, right? Or I mean, they, I'm sure they would know if they thought about that. They don't think about it, right?
1: That's right. And not only that, I go one step further and say, and how, what's unique about their sales process? Yeah. And Mm -hmm. how does that compare to what the candidate has done historically? Mm -hmm. And they find those disconnects. Right, right. uh, And identify those. But if you don't map them in the scorecard up front, you don't even think or no to probe on those in the interview process. Yeah, That's where the scorecard piece becomes so critical to do this upfront. So you can actually get the right data yeah. and then make a decision at the end.
0: Yeah, let's ask you about the scorecard in just a minute, but if we could take just another second talk about what goes wrong on the hiring side, do you think the reason they don't get clarity on what they want is because there's too many cooks in the broth sort of thing? There's too many people throwing ideas in, or what do you think the problem there is? Seems pretty basic.
1: Yeah, you know what? I um a lot of times I don't know if that's the biggest issue. There usually are, by the way, that is that isn't a problem that you have too many cooks in the kitchen. Generally speaking, though, there is a hiring manager. Okay. You know, or that person's job, you know, whether it's the CEO hiring a director board or the CFO hiring a controller. There is it ultimately does get down to one person. I think that's helpful. the I mean, too many cooks in the kitchen piece is an issue because what happens is let's say you're the hiring manager, let's say you're the CFO, you're hiring this controller. Chances are there's eight to 10 people in your interview process, maybe six to 10 people Mm -hmm. meeting that candidate. If you aren't clear with every one of those, every person that's talking to the candidate about what they should be focused on, what areas, what you end up with is the same three anecdotes that the candidate has told, to every single person, oh, uh, right. you know, whatever their pre-prepared answers are, mm-hmm. or even worse, they spend half of their interviews talking about how they climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, how the candidate yeah. climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, right. and they don't really get to the heart of... And then the other you know, third talking about uh, selling the candidate on the roll, and yeah. each person, you know, you might have five interviews, 10 interviews, an hour each, each person spent a total of 10 or 15 minutes getting data from the candidate.
0: Neil, let's talk a little bit more about what goes wrong on the interview process. So. Some of it is set up, and that is companies don't really know what to drill down on. Uh, but some of it, I think, seems to be, too, that your people you're trying to coach are almost uncoachable sometimes on some of these things, right? Uh, what do you see them doing that um, over and over and over?
1: Well, the main thing, and this is maybe even less about what they do and what they're not doing. So I mentioned before that the, the three things you want to know motivation, strengths, development areas, most people don't spend much, if any, time on the development area side. And it's almost awkward for the interviewer. So they kind of do the throwaway, what's your biggest weakness? And someone tells them they're a perfectionist, and then they kind of move on. Yeah. Like, okay, check the box. I get it. You you work too hard. You right, that's care it. You too much about the company mm-hmm. that you work for. Um, and what they should be doing is spending literally 40 to 50% of the interview Talking about development areas, talking about what this person, okay. has or hasn't done well, okay. Yeah, it it sounds very, um, you know, counterintuitive or maybe even aggressive, but what you really want to know is how has this person made mistakes? How have they learned from those mistakes? What aren't they good at? Every single person I've assessed mm-hmm. has had a bunch of strengths and a bunch of development areas.
0: Yeah, okay. and
1: if you don't know that whole right side of the equation, the development area side, it's very difficult to make a. Accurate hiring decision. Okay, do you, do you get surprised later once you hire the person. You're like, oh wow, here, here are the development areas. Now I see what they are.
0: So, Neil, th- that sounds makes perfect sense. But I think for a lot of people, they're going to say, well, I don't know how to do that. So, let's see if we can get you to help us do that. And that is, let's turn say to Dan O'Mara sitting next to me here. Surely, and let's see if you could interview Dan on his many weaknesses. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, sure. seriously.
0: Seriously, what kind of questions do you ask? I mean, I'm I'm dead serious about this. What do you ask somebody and let's try with Dan here, um, uh, sure. to try to get at, because people don't want to talk about their weaknesses, do they?
1: They, they really genuinely don't. So here's the thing. When someone okay. walks into an interview process, if you think about what the goal is, what are they trying to achieve? They're trying to tell you all the great things about them. Yep. And they're trying to tell you none of the negative things. And then sure. they walk out and they won the interview and they're patting themselves in the back. So one of the things you really want to do is to change the game in the interview. And by the way, I don't even mean like it's a game. Like You actually genuinely want someone who's introspective and thoughtful, okay. self-aware. Mm-hmm. And that is the number one correlator. I mean, we've done the studies. Number one correlator with success for executives is how well they know themselves. Really? Can they work on their strength Can, they, can hmm. they adapt and use their strengths? Can they work on their development areas or hire someone on their development areas? And more importantly, when the companies shift, roles shift um, things change, are they introspective and thoughtful about the changes that are happening in the market to the company, okay. and they can therefore adapt their behaviors. So so that's the, that's the backdrop. So, Dan, what I would say is, hey, you know, listen, as we go through this interview process, um, I want you to know that introspection and awareness is probably one of the biggest factors when we hire in our company. And so we're going to talk about your strengths and focus to brag about yourself. I want to hear about all the great things you've done. And on the flip side, focus to telling yourself on the development areas, the times you've fallen on your butt. Um this this it really is not about, you know, I'm a perfectionist or I work too hard. Mm-hmm. Generally strength, we'll put those in the strengths column. But we're really spend some time talking about some of your development areas. Um so if that's all right with you, why don't we why don't we jump in?
2: Sure. That but the but there aren't any. I can't possibly <laughs> develop.
1: So <laughs> let me ask you this. Um what's your what's your general role right now? Give me a little like just a, a snapshot. I normally would have your resume. In this case I don't, but what's the
0: What's your, what's your, what's your day you job? Right I'll be a yeah, senior
2: associate, even though I'm not. I was, I was 20 years ago. Oh, I'm, okay, well, I'm lead counsel in, for a variety of clients in a variety of uh, 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 cases. And uh, I, really, I really like my job. That's my role. <laughs> That's
1: great. Excellent. And who's the boss? Do you have a boss in your current role, or are you doing this independently now?
2: Yeah, no, my department chairman is.
1: Oh, wonderful. Okay, great. And what was it, what's his name?
2: Uh, Joe Blow. You know him. I mean, <laughs> okay. it's in an industry where everybody knows each other. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, frankly, you as an interviewer, you ought to know uh, uh, who, who my boss is. I th- you mm. probably did know anyway. If this is real life. <laughs> yeah.
1: Fair enough. And so as, as we go through the process, obviously we'll be talking to Joe, and you know, we'll talk to a number of other references. But I'm going to ask you to look in your crystal ball and predict what Joe will say about you as we talk into the reference process.
0: Ooh, good question. Sure. Okay. Oh.
1: And so, so I'll ask you about the strengths I know we wanted to focus more on development areas, but the first place I'd start is to you know what are two two or three big strengths that Joe will say about you?
2: Oh, work very independently and um, uh, very conscientious, very thorough.
1: Excellent, great. I'd probably probe So in a real interview, I'd probe a little bit more on those. I want to understand more about those. let's let's take the flip side though. What will Joe what will he critique you on? What are the top three things that he'd say you could do better or could have done better over the last few years in this role?
2: Oh, he got really ticked off at me one time because I was working with one of his clients and everything was going right in the case. I was getting along right with the client. And he said I wasn't keeping him apprised uh, substantially enough. And I should have been popping in his office to talk about the different decisions I was making.
1: Mm. Okay. So from his perspective, he might have said, you know, is that a general thing you'd say, you know, in general, I love it at the end, just kept me apprised a little bit more of, kept me in the loop more?
2: Yeah, no, he's actually more pissed off than that. He said, uh, "He said he is uh, the way the firm works. He is the responsible partner for these matters. He he is the final check on quality control. He can delegate things to me, but I'm an associate and I can do them. And I was just making too many decisions that I would have benefited from." conferring with a senior attorney about the different options that are available to me. And even though nothing went wrong, it was in part because of luck that it didn't go wrong. And I got to learn how to use mm. the resources around the firm. And mm-hmm. I think he was right.
1: Mm. Great. That's a, that's a very thoughtful and introspective one. Though. Thank you. What, what's one other thing that he might critique about your performance in that role?
2: Um, I walk around the office without my shoes after hours. So this is the way I do it. And he looks at me and shakes his head. Really? Yeah. Hmm.
1: Maybe a bit of a nonconformist in that way.
2: Yeah, exactly. And if you need someone who wears their shoes all the time, just don't hire me, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm going to check my scorecard and see if that's in there.
2: Here. Mm-hmm. But actually, this um, is bringing back, I, I'll tell this story. This is bringing back memories. I interviewed for a job oh, in the 90s, so it's sold 20 years ago. And uh, I'd really prepared for it. And uh, I met these guys, and I knew a lot about them. They knew of me. And uh, before the, the key meeting ended, I said, well, listen, I want to give you the top five reasons not to hire me. Really? Hmm. And the one guy was about to get up and, and, and leave for it. He's like no, I'll stay for this. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> he said, what are they? And I went through them and each one was characterized by, you know, my weakness is this. Hmm. Let me put it in context. And and for example, I said, you know, listen, uh, I've been criticized that I'm, I'm too bullish and risk-taking with clients in giving advice and and I'll authorize things that there's risk in and I I ought to be hitting the brakes. I said, the person critical of me is, and I named a particular attorney who was one of my bosses and they both burst out laughing when I said it because they knew him. Mm. They knew he's the most nervous Nelly hmm. ever mm-hmm. and that if I did have risk alignment with him, they wouldn't want me. Mm-hmm. But since he thought I was out of control and risk taking, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, that's actually a plus for him, mm-hmm. even though he's describing his a minus. Mm-hmm. And I went through and, and e- each were about the same. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. Uh, Neil, let me just comment here, stop you in, in process and say, uh, it's a very clever thing uh, you're asking to ask people what their bosses would say about them. So that apparently there's research in psychology about this, that people are far more objective than if you ask them, what would your boss say about you, than if you ask them, what do you think about yourself, right? Because in their heads, apparently what they're willing to say is, well, yeah, the boss thinks I'm not very good at this, but the boss is an idiot. Right. Yeah. So they're saying that to themselves. <laughs> so they're much more comfortable saying critical things uh, that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you've gotten Dan moved along here. What would you do then? Drill down on some of these. Ask specifics. What comes next?
1: I would. I would jump into a couple more specifics here. that's kind of some of the examples that you stated. But even then, I would actually do both. Um, so I would. We uh, we talked about the the of reference check, which is what we're doing here, called a tour. I would actually ask some direct questions. So the kinds of questions I'd ask, you don't have to answer all these, but you know, what are the, your, your three biggest development areas in that role? What would you go back and do differently in that role?
0: Oh, good So if You've
1: been in that mm-hmm. role for five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. What have you learned and what would you then go back and mentor your then self on? Mm. So there's a, a whole number of, an array of questions you can ask. And here's what's interesting. One, it'd be very boring if I just kept saying, hey, what other development areas do you have? What else? What else? Yep. else? It'd right, be right. a very boring discussion for both of us. But on top of that, you can actually – I've seen this happen. I've seen people light bulbs go off in people's heads. You can unlock people's brains differently by asking different types of questions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll say, what were your biggest um, mistakes? And they go, oh, God, you know, I don't really have you – know, I, I don't like to think of life in mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. you know you're learning. You know, great. What are those three top learnings? And then all of a sudden, they're willing to tell you about those three learnings. Uh-huh. Um, or other times you might ask about mistakes, and they struggle there. So you ask about development areas, and all of a sudden they're, oh, yeah, there a bunch yeah. of those. So you see, you kind of have to work with the candidate a bit and make sure you're asking questions in a way that kind of helps them to think through and unlock.
0: And uh, also, unlock yeah, answers. and also sa- that it doesn't sound negative, right? Because I think in an interview, as you, say, you said earlier, right, everybody's trying to put on their best face, they're in selling mode. Right. And so part of the trick, I-, I think what you said earlier, also very helpful, is to point out to people that we are interested as part of the criteria here in people who are self-reflective, that that is a plus, Right. So, uh, that probably helps as well to get people to talk about things that are kind of weaknesses, right? I'm sure that helps a bit too. Right? So, and Neil, if I could ask you just to, to be um, uh, um, entertaining here for a minute, what kinds of things have people told you that were weaknesses that made you think, whoa, not so sure about that? What kinds I of things? I
1: have had some very interesting ones over the course of, you know, I don't know how many hours of interviews I've done. Um, so let's see. Some of the more entertaining ones. Well, I had one, a, a, during our assessment process, we talked even about the early years of their career, you know, the, the education steps, and sometimes even before that. I, I've had people tell me that they were one of their biggest low points in the college years. They were selling drugs out of their dorm room, and they were always afraid <laughs> the DEA was going to break down their door. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting one. Entrepreneurial. I one
0: that, entrepreneurial. Yeah. Uh, very. Yep. Very, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Risk-taking. Yep. Talked about risk-taking. Uh, I had one that said they were... Yeah, let's see. They were having an affair with their boss's admin, and then their girlfriend found out. and know, their boss <laughs> found out, and so it created this very awkward situation at work.
0: Oh, yeah, and yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah, was, how do you probe on that one? when do you saying text, You know, yeah,
1: I, don't, I don't generally touch that. Was one, it worth it? Is, it? Or, was
0: it worth it? Right, right.
1: Yeah. Well, it, this is yeah, you know, this is the general counsel of a role. So there's, you know, you got to factor that into like, oh, okay. There you go. There's, there's a bit of uh, judgment <laughs> here as we have this discussion. It's so fascinating. <laughs> I'd say so. Um, I, I think more often, that like less relations with the more interesting ones are, you know, people will talk about the times they got fired or the big fall-in-their-butt moments with some of their hires. Mm. And generally mm-hmm. speaking, if you get someone who's thoughtful and introspective and you give them a safe environment to have that discussion, they're willing to have that discussion and talk yeah. about things. Yeah. And so um, so you get more job-related things, just you know, really what you're after. You know, the, the funny stories are always the funny stories. But, uh, but at the end of the day, what you really want is that more balanced picture, and, and people are willing to, to do that.
0: Do you do you find that, uh, I, you know, you we've just come out of a period of a pretty awful labor market. A lot of people, I, I'm sure, really wanted these jobs. And so do you, did you find that they're always trying to guess what you're getting at the whole time, and <laughs> do they push back on that? What are you getting at here? What's the right answer? Is, what's going to be on the test kind of thing? Uh, do you get a lot of that from these folks?
1: Sometimes, although the way I ask questions, and I think the way people generally should, if you're talking about development areas or strikes, is a bit more open-ended. And so I can okay. very quickly realize, yeah, there is, an, there is an answer to this test. The answer is, are you introspective and thoughtful? And so, yeah.
0: red, so red, that, red, yeah, red. that's
1: the piece. If I'm not hearing, you know, yeah. I'm hearing the, oh, uh, everyone else's fault every time there's a mistake, or I've had people... And this can, you know, it's a little bit shocking even when you um, think back at it. I've had people who've been running businesses for eight years and say, I think, what was a a couple of mistakes that you made along the way? You know, things that you learned. God, you know, it was a really good run. I mean, the business did so well. I really just can't think of any.
0: Yeah. Wow. I made three mistakes
1: (laughs) on the way here this morning.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, we've got some leadership yeah. in Washington like that, right? It just would be, have, would struggle oh,
1: started on that. Struggle
0: with that, that question a little bit. Yeah. I think that's yeah.
2: that's probably for
1: sure. Yeah,
0: Neil, let me ask you about private equity here. You spent a ton of time in that industry too. And, and just a, a little bit about that. What do you think are the characteristics of people who do well in that industry as opposed to maybe in the business world in general? What are they looking for there?
1: question. You're talking more about the senior leadership now yeah. within the within the uh, companies, the right. private equity companies. Right, right. Uh, let's see. What are the main things? Uh, I mean, I think if you we, so we've also done this study. We said, okay, what drives success? And let's say for CEOs, that's probably the person who's most affected by the uh, private equity ownership structure. I think it's someone who's willing to act quickly mm-hmm. yep. and make changes. And that could mm-hmm. be changes to the team. It could be changes to the you know the approach. If you think about the private equity hold period, you've got a four to eight year period where they're expecting they want to make some changes and deliver results and then likely sell the company to another buyer, take a public, except there's no kind of transaction right. on the back end of that. And so someone who's willing to come in and really size up the business quickly and make some tough decisions. That's that's a number mm-hmm. one thing. Mm-hmm. I think the second and this is really important for I'd say CFOs and CEOs that are working with private equity firms. It's about the mindset that they take. If you have a CEO, there's there's a spectrum if you think about how a CEO um, approaches a board, there's a spectrum from a compliance mindset, which is, oh, yeah, just tell me what to do. Tell me the three things you want me to do, and I'll go do it. And to the other end of the leave me alone, you hired me to run this business now, stay out of my shorts, neither of those works. Those are the two extremes of the scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a happy medium in there where it's a, it's a CEO that's willing to have an engage courageously, have tough discussions. When the investor, the board members, throw out their five ideas, they don't want a CEO that says, okay, great, I'm going to go implement those five things. They actually want to have a debate about it. It's like, actually, those two ideas are terrible, and here's why, for our business, because the CEO is going to be closest to the business. But those three, those are actually pretty good ideas. Why don't I see about how how we might implement some of those? So it's really having that constructive dialogue and a willingness to not be – too uh, passive or too okay. um, deferential, that's a that's a massive quality that they look for. I didn't know that they know that they look for it, but that's a massive differentiator, I'd say of the best CEOs and the best executive team members uh, in in the private equity portfolio companies.
0: you know, I heard somebody in the uh, private equities uh, say that recently uh, that they thought the big thing was coachable as somebody is do I get a sense that this person is coachable what do you, what do you think about that one?
1: I think that matters. I think it matters generally, but I think it's actually more about the underlying dynamic. So it's more about you know, are they willing to take some input, okay. or that yep. that lone wolf type person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Coachability yeah. is. I, I think it's massively positive, by the way. So mm-hmm. you know, again, it, it, it's related to the introspection and awareness. Um, but if you think about, it, it depends on the firm. I think some firms really want to come in and they want to put a CEO in place. Or, you you know, leverage a CEO of a company that they're buying and kind of work with them, who can actually drive things pretty independently and, you know, can, can really, they don't have to manage, overmanage the person. As long as they're willing to take some input, mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think if they are a new CEO or new to the world, then I think coachability, or if there's that, you know, somehow they're making a transition. Oh, they used to be in this industry and now they're coming over to a different industry. I think then um, coachability becomes a, a bigger element.
2: Yeah.
0: Neil, very cool. We should probably let you go and get back to interviewing more people. Pleasure to have you on. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.